Hello, Kings fans, and welcome to Kings Talk, presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony. With me, as always, we have none other than John. Just going to leave it at John, no last name. He's just, he's like Ichiro. Kings, they're, uh, they're in second place, tied for second place with the Memphis Grizzlies right now. They've gone 6-1 and one since the All-Star break, 3-1 and one since the last time we've talked. Just everything seems to be going Kings right now. It's the first time that they've been in second place in the Western Conference at this point, you know, in the season since 2004, which is just, you know, incredible. That was almost 20 years ago. So it, it, it just feels really good to be a Kings fan right now. I think there's exactly a month left of the NBA season right now until the playoffs start. John, how are we feeling? How are we feeling over there? Well, continuity seems to be paying off for the Kings. They've, they're just continuing their upward trajectory. And uh, as Chemezi Metu, a great spokesman for the team, said after the win on Monday, Mike Brown has this team thinking championship. Second place in the West... Uh, the best offense, one of the best in history. Yeah. Is that crazy? Is championship talk crazy? Man, I mean, I don't know if it's crazy. I, I, it's crazy in the sense that I don't see the Kings as like a top team. I guess, I mean, the top teams right now are all in the East. Like, I don't see him as a Boston Celtics. I don't see him as a Milwaukee Bucks. I don't even really see him as a Phoenix Suns, even though the Suns are... Uh, a couple seats below the Kings right now. But, I mean, they can really start, you know, like I said, a month left in the season and really start to dial in, especially on the defensive end. I, I, I think it's all just the question remains is at the, on that defensive end, right? Like, they, the off, they have the offense. In playoffs, it's a little different than regular season. And can they get stops down the stretch, like really good stops down the stretch? In the postseason, I, I just that's just the biggest question mark. But... I mean, they can score with the best of them, but uh, I don't know. What What do you think? Do you think it's crazy? I'm like, I'm kind of right there. I'm like, I, I kind of want to believe, but I still think they have a little ways to go before I even see them coming out of the West um, mm-hmm. to win that Western Conference. Yeah, I don't know if, I wouldn't call it crazy. Like, it would be crazy at the beginning of the season to be saying something like that. But they're second place in the, second place in the Western Conference we've laid out all the reasons why they're, you know, a legitimately good team, but I wouldn't be going around betting my money that this team can win the Western conference finals or go that far. And I think you pinpointed it. It all comes down to the defense and, you know, I have a, like a positive viewpoint on that and a negative viewpoint on it, like optimistic and pessimistic and starting with the optimistic stuff You've seen it all year. The team can sometimes just kick it into another gear on a moment's notice. And in big moments in games, typically late in the game or stepping up after a poor defensive performance, you know, they struggled to defend Minnesota from the three-point line because they struggled on their pick-and-roll defense and their uh, defensive activity with high hands and uh, sticking with guys and being disruptive against Minnesota. Bounced back, had a good game against New Orleans. One of the better defensive games in recent memory. And they've had like moments like that. Uh, if you remember correctly, at the beginning of January, they gave up, what, like 136 points to the Lakers the next game. And I, I think they gave up like 72 paint points in that game. 
And then the next game against the Magic, they had a great defensive game. I think held the Magic to like 44 or something like that, something in that range, paint points. So they have like moments like that. They give the impression that the team can, you know, to use the phrase again, tighten the screws when when it's necessary to start kind of getting serious about that end of the floor. And like on a personal level, we talked about it when the Kings traded for Kevin Herter over the summer. And we were talking about like, is he a two-way player? And we we're talking about, because obviously he's got it on the offense, but does he have it on the defense? You know, he has some upside, but there's still some things missing. But the, one of the interesting things was, is that statistically speaking, defensive rating wise in the Hawks backcourt struggled in defensive rating all year. But every time Kevin Herter goes to the playoffs, that defensive rating whittles down. And I think in that series against Philadelphia, I think there might be a whole YouTube video about just Kevin Herter's defensive highlights in that series. I might be making that up, but it was kind of a topic of discussion. That like Kevin Herter in the playoffs, you know, brought that defensive intensity. So can that happen on a team-wide level? Like, yeah, it's totally believable. With Mike Brown, with guys like Kevin Herter, guys like De'Aaron Fox, I think it's possible. But then comes the negative viewpoint. And it's a glaring issue. It's even more glaring than the inconsistency on the defensive end. Where's the playoff experience? Have They've never done this before. And I don't think I need to elaborate much more than that. It takes a long time to be a winner. And Mike Brown talked about it, I think, after the loss to Minnesota. It's like you have to... You have to understand that you have to bring that energy, that constant activity. What you saw against New Orleans, you have to bring that night in and night out. That's difficult. You saw them in the game prior. They were tired. They were worn out. It was the second of a back-to-back. And so it's it's not about just building that experience. It's about the habits, the, the, the construction of a second nature throughout that kind of experience building. So it's not crazy that the Kings are talking championship. They should be. That should be in the on the horizon in the next three seasons. I think like in terms of being a legitimate contender, they should definitely be talking about that. I don't think it's crazy that they will be a legitimate contender in three years is I guess what I'm saying. Um, maybe even less. But right now, that lack of experience does not uh, necessarily foretell the best in terms of whether or not they'll be able to turn on the defensive consistency. Man, you know, I guess we'll see. Zach Lowe said on the Low Post podcast that there is a semi-reasonable world where the Kings do make the Western Conference and finals. <laughs> the Western Conference. Finals. I saw that. I saw. What the hell does he mean by semi-reasonable world? <laughs> I just see, like, from my viewpoint on that quote, it's just like people are starting to like take the Kings a little more seriously. It's like, yeah, they're in the third place. Good for the Kings. And now it's like, okay, like they've been in the third place, and now they're in the second scene with one of the best offenses of all time. I think at the moment they have the highest offensive rating ever. Like, should we start taking the Kings more seriously? And that's the question we just posed, right? Like, should we? And it's, it's just like a hard answer. It's like, maybe like if their defense can step up and it might step up, we don't know. I mean, he's dancing around the question kind of like we are. It's like, maybe I like, I don't know. I wouldn't put my money on it right now just because how inconsistent their defense has been. But like you said, you know, Kevin Herter steps it up in the playoffs as defense. Can the other players do that? Like, I mean, I don't see why not, but I can't tell you it'll happen. It's just a hard question to answer. Yeah, just, you, you, nobody's got a crystal ball. Nobody knows what's going to happen when that environment and, you know, that level of intensity 
is happening for the full 48 minutes. It's a whole like the, 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 the saying of like, well, we don't know until the lights come on, you know, mm-hmm. and it there is really the truth here. But it's interesting because it's like in terms of like how the national media takes it, it's like they're just catching up to the fact that they've been kind of ignoring them the whole time. And That's I don't true. know. It's just like it's, I feel like by by low saying that he's just kind of trying to find more, I guess, viewers in the Sacramento Kings community, you know? Yeah. Because by not talking about the Kings, now you're ruining potential audience. That, I mean, that's true. That, but, you know. I get you. It, it's interesting. But in terms of actually the Kings going to the playoffs, what they can do there, to their credit, anything can happen. Stranger things have happened. Going into the season, the playoffs was the ultimate goal. So anything on top of it is kind of just like icing on the cake. <laughs> I feel like our, you know, our viewpoints will definitely change. If the Kings get bounced in the first round, like what the hell? Fire Brown. No, I'm not saying yeah. that, but it's the West is super weak this year. And the Kings have been fortunate not having many injuries. Like we said in this podcast in the past, like where the Kings sit as the second seed right now, it's not usually like what their record is at this point in the year is not usually what the second seed's record is usually at this point in the year. So, I mean, you have to take that into account too. Cause I mean, you have Phoenix. I mean, that's a, that's a good team. I mean, really, there's a lot of good teams in the West that have been dealing with injury bugs, and they get at full strength at the right time during the playoffs. Like Kings, you know, they're gonna have their they're gonna have their work cut out for them. No, that's a good point too. Is you just gotta keep the reality in mind that there have been a lot of favorable circumstances for the Kings, including the fact that uh, everything's just falling apart in Memphis. Yeah, and uh, that, falling apart. That's a huge reason why the Kings are in second place. Mm-hmm. Grizzlies fans, they might as well be looking towards uh, what's going to happen in the offseason. I don't think they really have a chance at this point, do they? It doesn't really seem like, like, is there any timetable? Nobody's really talking about any timetable of any kind of return. There's no, nobody would be surprised if you don't see Ja Morant again this season. I might be mixing that up. Maybe that's already been set in stone that you're not going to see him. But. Well, no, right before we started recording this, um, a report did come out that, John Morant will be without the team for the next four games. So that's kind of like the like the furthest that we could see at the moment, the report mm-hmm. we've seen. So, um, I mean, I, I don't know. It's such a weird circumstance. You're talking about a 50-game suspension for bringing uh, a gun on a plane, potentially. I was told the like, Colorado police aren't going to be investigating into this, like, bringing the gun to the nightclub and stuff. And then, of course, a lot, not everything. Memphis is a good team without Morant. But, I mean, Morant's your best player. <laughs> They're going to go into the postseason without him. That's gets obviously going to be a huge hit to them. You can almost count him out at that point, right? But we'll see. I, I mean, they're still a really good team. And with him, if he comes back, I don't know. It just depends on that, really. I mean, they're that's a good team with John Morant. So It's true. It, it's... We don't have the full answers at this moment. I mean, like they could drop just like all the other teams did from injury or missing players. But if he comes back and they're in the sixty going into the playoffs, I mean, that's still a really good team. The Kings might have to face there, even though that they're the second seed. You know, I think that's a great mindset to have. I think everybody in the team that's serious about winning should have that mindset. But also, like that's a lot of distraction. That's just that 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 totally just takes the wind out of the sails. 
And uh, I don't know. I don't want to. I look, my dumbass will make statements about other teams in the league, and I know better. <laughs> I said I said a couple weeks ago. I'm like, yeah, Memphis give me the top four, no problem. The Kings aren't. <laughs> <laughs> and now look at it. So I know developing situation. We'll have to see, but that does definitely play into the Kings' favor with all the weirdness. Usually, in terms of talk about potentially coming on some defensive consistency. A couple of things happened over the last couple of games, both in the poor defensive performance against Minnesota and the good defensive performance against the Pelicans. Starting with the first one, the Kings defense was able to steady the boat slightly by bringing in Kessler Edwards, who was kind of a symbol of stability on that end and uh, played pretty well. And I think PJ, what PJ Dozier went in first, he kind of, I think he took like two shots and it's just like, whoa, dude, that's not what you're in there for. Yeah. Um, which was like, I wasn't expecting that because PJ Dozier, just like Kessler Edwards has experience on a winning team and squeezing into a rotation spot. I don't know why Dozier thought he needed to take a couple of field goal attempts, but he did. And that really <laughs> hurt his chances. <laughs> And we said, you know, like Kessler Edwards has got to have first go over P.J. Dozier. Dozier did. Dozier blew it. Yeah. He might have another opportunity, though. That uh, We'll see. Because, I mean, yeah. Kessler Edwards came in and played some good defense in Minnesota. I mean, I just don't know if he's been with the team long enough to get those consistent minutes at the moment. I mean, I, I assume going down the stretch, he is just going to be that defensive specialist, kind of like KZ was for the season, like you were saying, just okay, the Kings need him, like, throw him in. Nothing else is working. He's kind of that guy. But, again, which brings you to the question where it's like, well, if he's always going to play good defense, why not just bring him in? Maybe he hurts your offense too much. I just We had, just haven't seen enough of Kessler Edwards uh, in game to really make a good decision on, like, where he should be. I think Kessler Edwards, his placement on the roster and what he did against the Timberwolves, it lets us know that, the rotation's not really set, I think, right now, even as the playoffs is coming in. You know, is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah, I, I would say so. But that was Mike Brown's decision to, to go to Kessler Edwards. In the second game against the Pelicans, it was Luke Lux's idea to go to his own defense at a halftime. And Mike Brown recounted that, you know, he's always – kind of getting suggestions such as that from Lux and Lux or Lux. I never know. Um, and Jordy <laughs> Fernandez and Mike Brown was kind of like, like, you know, it's just, like, it's not, I'll just give in. And I went with it. Like I just kept yapping about it and I just went with it. Now I don't know how tongue in cheek that was, but um, first of all, it raises a question about like, well, now the Kings might have the zone defense thing in their back pocket. And that uh, zone defense, even though any team will tell you that they don't really practice it, but Kevin Herter will tell you that at the same time, nobody practices against it. So yeah. if you, you can implement it well, um, I which feel also like... is a testament to the coaching staff. But I'll turn it over to you. No, it is a testament. I'm just going to say, like, I feel like every time someone, like the opposing team, goes into a zone against the Kings, I feel like it always just screws up the Kings. I, I don't know. The zone defense, it, it, it is kind of weird. It's like, why isn't this used more? 
it seems like it works against everyone. But, you know, like, to Kevin Herter's point, no one practices against it. So it's kind of like that. I guess if you do it too much, then it'll kind of just get outused and people will figure it out. But, I mean, I just I know throughout this season, at least, whenever the other team goes to the zone, it always screws with the Kings. So it, it makes sense why it worked for us, <laughs> you know. So it seems to work against us every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, like people asked Mike Brown, like, was it a, did, was this like something that was loaded up, like you were ready to maybe go to it, or was it based on matchups, spur of the moment? And Mike Brown, like, in addition to talking about how it was his assistant coach's idea, I don't want to say Luke loves again, but I did. I just said, <laughs> but he was talking about, um, and you heard that you hear this from anybody. You hear you hear it from De'Aaron Fox talking about checking other checking players that are going off on the other team is just sometimes you just want to give them a different look. And I guess this kind of lends to what we were talking about earlier. Like if you want to take an optimistic viewpoint, this is another bullet in the bandolier for the Kings to, to use, I guess, potentially how that plays out. Like we said, we don't know, but I guess the question that I have that comes up is, it's like, well, why didn't Mike Brown go to this earlier? Because it seems like this would have been useful at some point. Because I think the Kings have maybe gone to a zone a few times, but not for a whole half. No, very rarely this season. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the question does have to come up. Is uh, Mike Brown stubborn? I don't know. Like, to to play Mike Brown's sides, like, maybe he just, like, you know, the regular season can be, you know, seen as a practice run for the playoffs i mean the kings aren't at that point yet but it's like you you know but he probably wants them to get that damn man-to-man down so it's like you're just yeah. gonna keep running that man-to-man so that by the time you get to the postseason it's a lot better than it was you know at the beginning of the season so maybe he's trying to stray away from the zone so it's like hey, you know like the zone will work but like we need to get this man-to-man down for when it matters in the playoffs so maybe that's why and he's just like finally that we're getting closer to the playoffs, it's like, like okay, maybe we need to start winning games. It's like, yeah, it's good to the zone now. Like, you know, and now it really matters. Like, trying to keep, hang on to that second seed now or jump up to that second seed, get that good positioning. I don't know. That's just playing Mike Brown's side. But he could be stubborn, too. I mean, he is trying to win games regardless. No, I think you make a great point, though, by taking, quote-unquote, Mike Brown's side. It's like, how sustainable, like, how much do you want to lean on the, Zone yeah. defense. Is that sustainable for the whole time? Because it sounds like it's almost better just to have different options. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, it would be ideal to just get down the simple man to man and the additional kind of stuff that comes off of that. But I don't know. I, I feel like we're just setting up for a lot of things where it's like, well, I guess we'll have to see in the playoffs. We'll have to see in these last, <laughs> you know, this last month of the season. We're raising good helpful. questions, at least, right? <laughs> Really yeah, that's discussion right. for all you dumb enough to answer. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, I feel like we can just say that. Just whatever about the other ten minute of answer, we should just say that. Yeah, I don't know, maybe we'll see. <laughs> I don't in the know, playoffs maybe. could be. Sure. sure. Yeah, I don't see why not. But then I can I'll get see back why. Into the summer. Yeah. <sighs> but um, kind of thinking about going forward to the close of the season into the playoffs. Uh, 
Kings fans have to be feeling pretty good that Kevin Herter is tying all the strings together right now here in uh, early March. I know, um, finally. Which is interesting. He, you get this guy, his primary attribute or primary impact that he can make on the floor is stretching it out, hitting threes, in addition to all the other stuff he does, but that's the primary one. And it's like now that the three-point shooting's back, that was like the, the missing piece to tying it all together. Because all season he's found other ways to score, and all season he's he's had his ups and downs on defense. But I feel like there's been a lot of moments where I'm writing in my notes, like herder defense. And that's not just his off-ball, weak-side stuff, which he's always been pretty good at. But there are some moments on ball. I think he's listening to the podcast. I just don't – I don't want to, I don't want to like, brag, but I think he's listening to us. Because I think so. We're just we're we're oracles, you know. Yeah. Um. Anyways, he's tying it all together, and it was very helpful. Obviously, without Fox, with Fox, takes the team to another level. As would anybody kind of stepping up into playing their full potential. This is this is pretty big, right? That Kevin Herter is kind of getting it together. Oh, it's huge. He's playing like he was at the beginning of this year where it's like, oh, shit, Kevin Herter's on fire. Like, this is the guy we picked up? Because he was, I mean, he wasn't bad. I don't want to say he was bad, but his three-point shooting, as we all know, was just dipping each month. It's like, uh, you know, like you appreciate everything else he does. It's like, dude, you know, <laughs> you you brought in to hit threes, really. And that, was your, that was your main focus, right? So it is nice for... I, I think the nicest part is seeing him hit those threes. And that's obviously opening up the rest of his game <clears throat> or yeah. game and building confidence off of that. You've seen these last four and he's averaging like six assists, 23 points a game. You know, he's had a nine assist game, eight assist game. So it's nice. I, mean, I hope he can keep it up going into the playoffs. Like I said, several times already, it's about a month left. It's a lot of basketball still left to be played. So, I just hope he can just keep it up going into the postseason. Because, like I said, that's when it's going to really start mattering. But it is nice, or start to matter. But um, it is nice seeing him get out of that, you know, three-point shooting slump that he was in for such a such a long time, it really seemed like. It really showed yeah. in the three-point contest, too. <laughs> I think you made a great point, obviously, that as with any player the ability to hit threes opens up so many other things and i think well that eight assist game against new orleans was without fox the other assist game was that also without fox or am i he yes so both both uh high assist games for herder with were without fox because fox missed yeah he missed the okc game the second okc game and then monday's game against uh new orleans but not just the fact that Fox was out, you also do have to give credit to the fact that, you, or to the thing you were just saying, that it unlocks his game, which also unlocks more stuff for the Herder Delmas two man game, which does not have a great ring to it when I just said it. <laughs> it's a Herder good two man game, though. Sounds like Herder and Delmas. Sounds like a law firm. <laughs> do we cheat him and how? <laughs> no. Um, but everything kind of coming together there, obviously, and unlocking things. And uh, I think it was interesting. Was it on the broadcast for Monday's game? One of the more recent games. Mark Jones offered a interesting anecdote from a conversation he had with the redheaded sharpshooter. 
Red Velvet, as people like to call him. And he said that when the team was waiting to go back to the hotel and in the aftermath of that first OKC game and with the tornado warnings in town, he spent extra time in the gym and had made an adjustment to his shot base. And things have only been looking up since, really, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah and we were talking a lot a couple of weeks ago um, referencing a point that was made on Twitter again about Kevin Herter potentially having some fatigue issues. And uh, I don't know the shot. When you think about the fact that he adjusted something in his shot base, maybe he's not putting as much, I don't know what the word would be reliance on the lift from his base or something like that. I I don't know what he did exactly, but um, boy, that's, that's a shot in the arm because when you start talking about, a shooter getting fatigued in February, that doesn't really lend a lot of hope for what's going to happen to close the season. And he completely just, now granted, he could go oh for his next 20 or something like that and would bring it right back up again. Yeah. Because that's what we do. Um, but he, almost surprisingly, and I don't want to say that because he's such a good player and such a good shooter, but almost surprisingly, he just totally, that narrative is not in my mind. No. And, you know, he's proven us, you know, that it's not an issue right now, a shot. So, I mean, it's easy not to talk about his, you know, previous four months when he's shooting the ball so well. And you hope he just doesn't fall back into that slump. I mean, like you said, there was that tweet about, like, his, his fatigue and how that's affecting him and how he's moving a lot more than he was in Atlanta. Um, he was more of like that guy in the corner kind of shooter, didn't move as much without the ball, where now he's moving a lot more and how that can have an effect on his, you know, his fatigue. So um, it is worth noting that we did have the All-Star break a couple weeks ago. So fresh set of legs. Like, yeah, he didn't come out of the All-Star break firing all cylinders like he has the last four, but it is worth noting that, he is, you know, getting back on this hot streak after the All-Star break, or at least, you know, at least a week after the All-Star break. But the the, the adjustment in his jump shot, that's a good sign too. Maybe, hopefully that's all it was, and hopefully the fatigue has nothing to do with it, and he's shooting the ball wrong. Because mm-hmm. obviously the fatigue will come with more games played again and without the All-Star break in there to break it up right. or give you some rest. Another observation I had, and this one's not really backed up by anything. It's kind of just from what I've seen and just taking note of. But correct me if I'm wrong. It just seems like over these last several games, really coming out of the break, there's been is there more of a concerted effort getting Herder a shot or two really early? Like, I think he's there's been a couple of games here recently where he hits the first field goal of the game or something like that or gets the first shot. I wonder if there's some effort to try to get him in a rhythm early. And again, it's not like his field goal attempts have changed in the first quarter. It's like, I can't really see like a difference, but it does feel like in those first like four minutes of the game, he's a lot more involved. And again, I'm willing to be told I'm wrong there. I don't know. Have you, have you kind of noticed anything like that? No, honestly, (laughs) I can't support or debunk your, uh, what you're saying. I haven't been paying attention. It's like that. I don't. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to pay attention um, tonight. You know what's wrong with you, Tony? Is you don't listen to to Kenny Thomas, and that's <laughs> valuable insight. 
that you're missing. Tell us about it. Tell us about Kenny. Kenny listens to this. At least he posted on his story. So before you start talking shit about Kenny. I'm going to talk shit about Kenny. I think Kenny Thomas is a fantastic uh, individual and an upstanding model citizen. I'm flabbergasted that Tony does not watch the pregame coverage. And I just think that uh, you're, you're admitting here that you're not paying attention. Maybe you'd pay attention if you listen to Kenny Thomas. <laughs> uh, okay. And yeah, I, I don't. I don't listen to pregame. I don't watch, listen to postgame. I turn it on when the tip is happening. I turn it off once uh, you know that final buzzer sounds. So maybe Kenny, I'll have to I'll have to give you you know I'll have to give you I'll have to listen to you a little more. You and your boy Drapes, maybe Mo Reagan. Drapes and Mo. Drapes and Mo. Mo Drapes. Mo Drapes. Mo money. Mo Drapes. Yeah. We're gonna make We're- sure no sun gets in this house. We're gonna have drapes everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm wondering though why they don't have Kenny Thomas. You know, like in the uh, out of, after the first quarter and after the third quarter at the start of the next quarter, if I'm not mistaken, they'll have Matt Barnes come on and talk to the broadcasters. Why don't they do that with Kenny Thomas? I don't know. <laughs> Good question. Man, I, I just don't get it. That's that's their loss, I think. But I wanted to make a note talking about Kevin Herter's shot adjustment. One of the things that I would want to ask Herter as a follow-up to that, or even ask Mark Jones if I had the opportunity to, did Herter have any help from a specific assistant coach? Because we were noting earlier, it's like, man, this assistant coaching staff, when you think about different things, you talk about you know, Jordy Fernandez and Luke Locks's, uh effect on the defense and how much Mike Brown admits that he leans on him. I'd be interested to know which coach was helping him with the shot. What is it? I would say Luke, right? Because yeah, Luke yeah, helped yeah. Uh, Fox, Fox with his free throws. Yeah, point. That guy's the complete package. I love Luke. Luke Lux? Lux? I don't know. You think <laughs> I know? <laughs> Bouncing between the two of them all Luke. in the afternoon. Luke Lux? Lux? Lux. Lux. The Glucks. You just got to say it quick. The Glucks. It depends. It depends. If you're talking about defense, it's Luke Locks because he locks you down. There you if go. If you're talking about offense, uh, it's Luke Lux. It's, like, it's just lucky. Yeah. <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. It's so clear. He should open He should open, He should should open. open a barbershop. Luke Locks. The Locks Affair. <laughs> Or, or 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 even just more, you know, just a lock store. It could be a locksmith. Luke Locks. It could be a wig shop. Maybe a what? A wig shop. You know? Yeah, there you go. I like that. Luke Locks. You know. Yeah. There's like okay, sorry. There <laughs> just go to go on a tangent. There is this brand called Spee's Bees. And I believe it's called Spee's Bees because it's a honey brand, I should say. Um, and it's because of the people's last name is Spee's. And it's just like, did you let your last name influence what you do for work? And you're just like, my last name's Spee's, rhymes with bees. It's going to, you know, make honey. What are those people called who like make honey and they put the suit on? What's that? What are they called? Beekeepers. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess it is just peaking. 
I don't know. For some reason, I thought there was like a fancy word, but yeah, no, it is. You're right. It's just beekeeper. So it's like, I'm just going to be a beekeeper now. I don't know. I wonder if this will make the podcast. We're just going <laughs> to edit this out. But yeah, Luke Locks opening a wig store would be the equivalent of Speed's Bees, in my opinion. But Luke Locks, he should be a barber turned wig maker. It only makes sense. I love what we're like. We're uh, talking about how great this assistant coaching staff, or we're noting all the things that Luke Lux has done for this team. And we're like, yeah, he should just drop this job and open a locksmith business or a wig business or a barbershop. Like, I don't know what you're doing going to Darren Fox's honeymoon. Yeah. You should be sticking around Sacramento and opening a, a lock shop or wherever, you know? Yeah. Only if this guy had us when he was in high school and could have been his high school counselor. You want to you want to be an assistant coach in the NBA? You don't want to do that. Yeah. You want to be on the sideline? No, you want to be in the thick of it. Get in the key business, <laughs> the locksmith business. It's yeah. the center of it all. Yeah. My last name doesn't rhyme with anything, so I just I had to just you know had to wing it really. Where Luke, you know, he had his he had his life set out for him, and he just decided to change, take a different path than what was laid out in front of him. His birthright. You know, it would make a lot of sense based on this whole like last name to job thing or gig. Whenever I type in Cap City Crown, it always autocorrects to Capacity Crown. Because <laughs> if you just replace that first space with an A, it's Capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if your last name was Cassidy. Oh, man. That'd be, it, it makes sense there. I wish it was. Cassidy City Crown or Cassidy Crown? Cassidy Crown. Cassidy <laughs> Crown. Butch Cassidy. <laughs> Jack Cassidy. I like it. Yeah. Perfect. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a, that was like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. For those of you still listening, we'll get back on track uh, to Sacramento Kings. John, if any, nothing else on Herder, what else, what else we got on the docket? Well... One of the, a very interesting thing happened on um, Monday, something that you haven't seen in a decade. In fact, you, most people, even though it happened a decade ago, most people probably can't even say they they knew that it ever happened. But Harrison Barnes got a technical foul. I know. I didn't even that's, know he could talk. That's, I yeah, I didn't know he could be anything other than, you know, just the utmost gentleman that you could find. In the wild, you know, he's just, um, yeah, he's, he's a hair. Yeah, because that's where gentlemen are. They're out in the wild. <laughs> you know, just just in society, it's the wild. Um, yeah, it's funny. Oh, it's funny. My wife, she calls she calls Harrison our our father, just because he's just like just like this classy guy, just like teaching you. You like just imagine him like going home after a game, just like sitting down. With his with his kids, just like, all right, you're having trouble with multiplication, long division. I feel like we made this joke already, but um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. She just calls him our father, and because he's just like a dad. And so for him to like get a technical, it's like seeing your dad. Like, I don't know. I know we have different dads, but um, my dad, we have technical. <laughs> yeah, my dad. You know. Or just this, like the like the what's it like the the nuclear dad? He wouldn't get a technical foul, so it was just very surprising 
I was I was gasping. <gasps> Harrison, a technical since your first one since your rookie year. So unlike him. And right. sad to see your dad in that state, you know? But also you're just like, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because that brings true. To the question I wanted to ask here, which is that it's probably a lot easier to walk away from a lot of these situations if you're not playing for playoff seating or really trying to win games. It's the first time in a long time for Harrison Barnes where he's playing meaningful basketball at this time of the year. And it just seems like rejuvenation. Because over the last couple of weeks, you've seen him. That's not the first time he's been talking to the refs. And every NBA player is making his case to the refs and and whatnot. But you've you've seen Harrison Barnes be a lot more demonstrative with the officials. You'll see him at the free throw line talking about stuff. Like he'd be talking to the refs the whole game. He finally gets to the free throw line on a call. He'll be talking to the ref, talking to the ref, take a break, take the free throw, go back to talking to, talking to the ref, making his case sternly yet respectfully. Um, and then this kind of happened. Um, so it just kind of seems like there's more life within him. And, you know, you could make that argument too about Fox, just kind of how engaged he is with everything. And of course he's engaged. They're winning. Of course Harrison Barnes feels like something's at stake here, which is why you act in that manner. I guess the Harrison Barnes thing is just a side effect of uh, good stuff happening in Sacramento. Good stuff happening for Harrison Barnes for once. Yeah, for the first time in a minute, at least since he's left Golden State, right? First time he's been on a real winning team. So, yeah, none um, of those Dallas teams were winning teams, were they? No. No, because Harrison Barnes is the primary option. <laughs> exactly. And it, it is nice to see, you know, the... the like you said, these games matter more. So, of course, he's going to get a little more upset when he's not getting that foul call. It is nice to see a little emotion out of Barnes. He's usually that stoic guy, kind of just there to play. But, um, you know, he's a leader. Fire his team up. Yeah, that's true. Kevin Harder seems very pleased to see Barnes do that after the game. He's like, I'm always just trying to fire him up. But he's just such a palms-down guy, I think is how he put it. Mm-hmm. So he was excited to see Barnes and I think being that leader, being that veteran presence, being the one guy, well, not the one guy, one guy in the rotation with championship experience because Del Vadova has championship experience. But like people are going to get behind Fox and Sabonis, but it's like when when Barnes does something like that, that really jacks up the intensity, or at least that's what I imagine. Or that must really jack up the intensity. Like, oh shit, Harrison? Harry? Yeah. Harry's going off? Harry Barnes? Harry B? <laughs> HB40? Like HB40. It's like UB40. Yeah. <laughs> red, red, and wine, baby. Yeah. Hell yeah. HB40. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was nice to see. Uh, I, don't, I don't have too much other to say. <laughs> Good for I know, Barnes. It is kind of- it, it really does say something about Barnes, though, that like one single technical foul warrants a topic of conversation. Yeah. Like, golly, did you see that? <laughs> he's going to come in next game. He's like all tatted up. He's like a different <laughs> guy. He's not wearing a suit anymore. He always wears a suit when he comes in to game day. He's going to be like, whatever. Wearing street clothes. He just comes out shirtless. So <laughs> <laughs> he's just totally he's changing got- him. He's got the defensive player of the game chain around. It's like, where'd you get that? It's mine. It's like, All, right, yeah. All right, Harry. 
It's like this team might win a championship. Holy shit! Yeah, smoking a cigarette. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he doesn't even have like the single pack. It's one of the big old like 180 cigarettes <laughs> in his locker. <laughs> Harrison, this is a smoke-free zone. It's like you can't handle. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moving on from Harry Barnes. Harry Barnes, Harry B. Another guy I want to talk about is Dave Mitchell. Davion Mitchell. Not Dave? Yeah. Dave? Good friend Dave. Where is he from? Do you know where Davion Mitchell was born? Where he lives? Where he's born, I guess. Where he lives? Uh, I, think, I think he's from Georgia. Georgia. Didn't he go to Georgia before he went to Baylor? Uh, oh, I don't know. That's, I didn't know that, to be honest. Something? He went somewhere. Um, maybe. I don't know. Just because we got like Carmichael, Dave. Um, yeah. Hinesville, Georgia. I think that's Yes. Okay. That sounds familiar. Hinesville, Dave. That doesn't have the same ring to it. No, but, yeah, that was really climactic. <laughs> Hinesville, Dave, Baylor, Dave. I don't know. Davion, DeMonte, Earl, Mitchell. Oh, and just for reference, that's nowhere near Atlanta. <laughs> no, he went to Auburn, too, not Georgia. Auburn. Why, well, you yeah, know. Liberty County. I'm just trying to, like, Liberty County, Dave. NCAA champion, Dave. Um, yeah, Davion Mitchell, he's strung together a couple nice games without Fox now. Like we were saying, when Herter got his uh, two games where he had the high assist, 98 assist games, it was the games that Fox was out. And Davion Mitchell, after having a bad game, last time Fox was out, like, what was this, about a month ago, I believe February 3rd, um, yeah. against the Pacers, um, he was terrible. Terrible starting in place of Fox. And that was like a big reason the Kings lost the game because it seemed like it was four and five out there on offense. But so like he kind of had that concern coming in against OKC or when uh, Fox sat against OKC that first game. Like, yeah, like, all right, let's see what Mitchell can do. And he's, uh, you know, he's played well in that. He played well in that game. He played well on Monday night against the Pelicans in place of Fox. What do you have to say on it? Well, I thought it was interesting the first game that he played um, without Fox this past week or so, whatever it was, or the second game against OKC, because um, he went ahead and hit his first three three pointers. Um, how many points did he score? He finished with like fifteen, and everybody was singing his praises and all that. And I thought he had a good game. He hit his threes, but it, the question had to come up. It's like, well, what happened? Everybody notes it's like once he hits one three, he has a little bit of a rhythm going. He's going to hit probably multiple in that game. What happens if he doesn't hit that first three? Because he didn't do a lot of penetrating in that OKC game. And I made note of that, just being the, a Debbie Downer. Because um, he did have a good game. Like if you score 15 points starting in place of Fox, bringing the defense that he brings, that's a good game. But I felt like being more of a, I guess, leaning on his offensive strength, which is driving to the rim. I think that would have been better and would have been a better sign for how confident, how free he feels out there. But when he got the other opportunity against the Pelicans to do that, he did. He did penetrate into into the paint and he went. He hit three threes again, scored fifteen points, but he had more assists. He had a couple of a couple of buckets there at the at the rim. I think he had one bucket at the rim in that OKC game, but that was in transition. Like he only drove into the paint once and got one assist from it. And he did that a couple of times. I think half his assists, which were six in the New Orleans game, came from 
came off of driving into the paint. And so, I mean, like that game against New Orleans, I mean, that was easily his best game of the season. Mm-hmm. Just he, he, really he, well. did, he did everything that he needed to do. And um, because again, it's like that OKC game, he hit the threes. But what if he didn't hit the threes? Would mm-hmm. we just been content with the fact that he's going to go 0 of 5 from three or whatever the situation is and score four points in a starting role and God knows what else happens? And he did it all. He hit the threes, but he still kept up the aggression. And hopefully that's a really good sign um, for him. I mean, he's really good in his role. But I do think that, like, if you're – the reason that the ball gets taken out of his hands a lot is Monk. And I just think Monk is just – like, he's obviously been in the league longer. I think he's just more prone to go ahead and make that right move, to get in that kind of, like – to form a quick two-man game with with Sabonis, because like right up there with Fox and Herter, Monk's two-man game, making an argument for the best one mm-hmm. on the team, and uh, it almost just seemed like Davion just kind of gave way to that, and it's like, no, dude, you can command the ball as well. I mean, I'm not trying to say that any's anyone's better than the other, or you know that it would be better if Davion was doing X, Y, or Z, but just in terms of like making sure that he does feel free. Uh, to do what he needs to do on the floor. I think that New Orleans game was a huge sign and easily his best game of the season. And given the circumstances of having to win, not having one of your all-stars against a Western Conference team that's really vying for the playoffs, like that might have been his best game of his career. Is that crazy to say? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I, I, it, with the circumstances, right? I think mm-hmm. he showed up and plays for Fox in the game, you kind of want to win too as you're trying to inch towards that second seed. Yeah, the Pelicans are in there trying to, you know, stay keep their playoff hopes alive. And, yeah, he, he filled in for Fox excellently. Where last year when he's starting games, is kind of like, all right, well, the Kings aren't even in the playoffs at this point. Who cares? But, um, no, he played really well, made threes. Like we were talking about, he's really good at driving to the basket. So it was really nice to see him attack the rim like he did on Monday night. So I, I can totally see, you know, making that debate that it was his best game of his young career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good job. I mean, like, it, it felt like when the All-Star break came around and we were doing, like, the first half grades discussing that, like, it was so easy to kind of not necessarily be down on Davion Mitchell because what he does on the defensive end like aside from Domas's overall effect on the team, it's probably one of the most consistent things you get from any of the players is Davion's defense. But just the unsure aspect of his offensive game and not just like, like everybody knows he's capable of doing it, but it's like once you start seeing, like, is he unsure? Like what's going on here? Like it just seemed like all we could do was pinpoint that Indiana game and be like, ugh. I mean, like I get it's different circumstances and whatnot, but it's like, are you showing a lot of growth in your second year? Which is like kind of big to be mm-hmm. starting to make that jump. And uh, it's kind of similar to what we were talking about with Kevin Herter and the fatigue talk. Just a couple of games makes you kind of forget about it. And now it's not even an issue anymore. It's kind of the same thing with Davion. You almost, you almost want to let these last two games and the fact that he progressed from the OKC game to the New Orleans game to be able to go ahead and utilize his offensive strength, as we're saying, it's like you almost want to just kind of be like, well, there you go. You're right at the ship, Davion. Just as long as he closes out the season from here with a, a little bit more confidence, a little more understanding of what he can do, um, mm-hmm. it'd be good. But again, yeah. we'll have to see. 
to see what happens with Fox back and everything like that. Yeah, but it's like the way that Davion ended the season when Fox went down last year, and he played, he was started so well. He was scoring the ball really well. It's like, this guy could be like a starter in this league, really. And so I get it. That's a starting job. And then he moved back to the bench this year, you know, just for the whole year, essentially. And it's like, man, like, you're so, like, you can score so well as a starter. Like, what makes you change so much as a bench guy? And so it's kind of been disappointing because you're kind of building off that into last season. And to see him, you know, he's still a really good defensive player, but his offense has just been kind of non-existent at points in this season. So it's kind of, it's kind of been a letdown, like you're saying, like you really want to see that growth in all areas of his game as a sophomore. Um, so it is nice seeing him, especially when he did get a start back in Indiana. He was bad. So it was nice seeing him get these two games, like these two starts, get back on track. But you still want to see more out of him on the offensive end when he comes off the bench. Because you know you know he has it in him. It's just He's just not doing it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the hope here is that he's kind of reoriented his viewpoint on what he's able to do in terms of impact. Because one of the things that I almost forgot to note, really important, Mike Brown said about Davion Mitchell, what he often says about Fox, which is that like Davion, as the head of the snake, the primary head of the snake with Fox out, he was overriding calls, making his own calls, you know, setting up his teammates on his own, doing things like that. When he takes initiative, you know, things obviously work out. He can utilize every aspect of his game at that point. So hopefully that's what it's done, is that it's allowed him to understand gain a better familiarity with um, where he can kind of take that initiative when it's necessary. Because I, again, it's like you got Monk going in there and Monk's commanding a lot of the, the ball handling. It's not like Monk's saying like, it's my ball. It's like Davion's just not, it seemed like, and again, this could be just kind of a, a feel. I'm not really like backing this up with a lot of evidence, but it's like, you get a second-year player like that, I mean, he's going to just kind of willingly take a back seat on the offensive end to Malik Monk. And mm-hmm. Monk's great, but it's like, if you have both of them able to do that, because you see yeah, Monk imagine. and Fox together, and they, they'll kind of like throw off or uh, switch off on ball handling duties and whatnot. But it just seems like Davion Mitchell, it's kind of on him to, to, again, to use the word again, take that initiative to make the impact, the ultimate impact that he's actually capable of making. Because he's bet- we, that's one of the things that was so frustrating about him with the first half of the season, quote-unquote, was that it's like, dude, we know you're so much better. You're so you're not as fast as Fox, but you're damn near as quick as him. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't seem like he was ever showing that he knew that. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it's a good sign going forward. I, I agree. I hope so. You know what we didn't talk about? Hmm. So it looks like Mike Brown's uh, going to win Coach of the Year. Oh, yes. It's a big topic we passed over. Yes, Mike Brown now leads, at least according to Bet Online, he leads the odds for winning the Coach of the Year award. And, I mean, <laughs> for good reason, right? I mean, like, his, the next highest guy is Joe Missoula. And I get it. Like, Joe Missoula is, like, a new head coach. I mean, Brown's not a new head coach, obviously, but... You know, his first time in Sacramento and his first time being a head coach in, you know, almost a decade. So, um, I mean, the difference between these two guys taking over a new team is that Missoula 
is coaching a second seed Celtics team who went to the the NBA finals finals last year. And Mike Brown is coaching a second second seed Kings team who haven't been to the playoffs in 16 years. So, I mean, I think that's enough of a case for Brown to win it over Missoula. But, um, I mean, Brown adds so much more to the table. I mean, he's done a ton. Just kind of looking at what's noticeable, the team is in second place. More importantly, though, the team is one that understands accountability, is always hungry for a lesson, and is constantly wanting to do the right thing. And when you have that as a team-wide kind of situation, kind of points up to the top. And the head coach has everything to do with that. And, um, I mean, I, I want to give a lot of credit to Monty McNair. It all kind of starts there, but in a lot of ways, actually doing the heavy lifting to change the culture in the locker room, on the practice floor, on the on the, on the the game floor. Like, again, it goes down to the head coach. And there are a lot of people when Mike Brown got hired that were like, that's not the right choice. He's, he's a career loser, even though he has an above 500 win percentage. Um He's a career loser, as everybody said. He just succeeded because he coached LeBron and all this stuff. He, he's kind of proven to be everything that you hoped for. And also, it's just like, it, I, I don't know if I'm making a big deal out of something so simple, but it's like, you remember the foot bruise situation? And like we're like, well, why did Fox play on it so long? And why did it allow to kind of, why was it allowed to fester? Why was it allowed to combine with, with, with stomach bug? that was going around the team and he also had a thumb issue. Like, why did that happen? Like, of course the player wants to play. The player is going to want to compete regardless of nagging injuries or whatnot. It's kind of on the head coach to, to do something about it. And like, that was along with maybe starting Kiziak Paula or being very, uh, I guess to use the word again, stubborn about giving him a shot when it seemed clear that if you're not going to, not to rehash the situation, but if you're not gonna, if you're gonna make Kevin, Ke- uh, Keegan Murray earn a starting role, why the hell are you going with Kaziak Paula, not the guy that was starting on the team last year and did a really good job, and the guy that got like three DMPs in the first five games and then ended up being one of the best members off the bench, Trey Lyles. But I guess the other con- the, the other kind of main gripe with with uh, Mike Brown was the foot bruise situation. It's like why didn't you step in? That is kind of your job at that point. And with Fox's hamstring, and again, I maybe I'm making a big deal out of the kind of something that's just trivial. But the way he just kind of went ahead and took credit for the fact that he told Fox not to play, when he, rarely does he take credit for things, as we were saying earlier in the podcast. I, I think that showed growth. And I think that if you're going to expect your team to grow, you kind of got to do it yourself. And um, that's just kind of a cherry on top. But it's just like nobody expected Sacramento to be 11 games over 500 like that alone is just like obvious yeah i agree and i think what you mentioned earlier about the culture change um and you know developing a winning culture it has a lot to do with you know mike brown and like you said monty mcnair and are we going to be looking at a team that might have the executive of of the year and coach of the year like i think so but I know we're focusing on coach of the year, but I think you mentioned McNair and, you know, he has just as much credit, I think, as Brown does. But he hired Brown. He brought in all these guys and Mike Brown just ran with it and has just done an exceptional job. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we kind of did make the argument uh, around the new year. But like, like, I mean, obviously, Mike Brown's carried a lot of weight, like I said, but it's like Monty McNair freaking 
wrote the blueprints on this house, built the built the framework for it, and then allowed essentially Mike Brown to furnish it. Maybe that's not a great metaphor, but no, I think it's good. I, I think that's a really good metaphor and because like, he brought in Brown. He brought in all the pieces. He laid. I mean, at the, the end of the day, McNair laid the groundwork. He did. He mm-hmm. built this team, and then you got uh, you know, Mike Brown just running with it, and he's. Like I already said, he's done an exceptional job. He's really built this court culture. You can hear my cat in the background. Um, <laughs> she's itching herself. Um, but um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it, credit to both of them. They've done so well. No one would have expect, expected the Kings to be the second seed at this point in the year, like where they are. And like I said, or we said, a, a playoff team. They're pretty sure to make it at this point. So and I. I would put it this way too, just like for why McNair should win it. Um, if we're talking about Mike Brown being the runaway favorite to win coach of the year at this point, Mike Brown wouldn't have come to Sacramento if Monty McNair hadn't done the things that he did. Cause Monty, not Monty, Mike Brown was coming from the Warriors, a winning organization. Now, it would have been very hard for the Kings in a, with a snap of a finger to portray themselves as a winning organization, but to portray themselves as an organization that has their shit together after over a decade. I mean, you go from the Maloofs to fucking Vivek Ranadive and yeah. uh, who wants to go there? I mean, we remember, I think it was either after Michael Malone's firing or after George Carl's firing, Kings were quote unquote interested in Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale's like, I don't want to fucking coach there. <laughs> like, what? You crazy? So it's like, it's for almost that reason alone, you're like, man, night and day difference. Like Rudy Gay's whole basketball hell thing, that's dissipating at this point. It's, it ain't really basketball hell anymore, like at all. I know. I got a, I got a couple of basketball hell shirts on the Cap City Crown shop, and I think it might be almost time to take those down. Yeah, you might, might might want to call it. Uh, what would be a good thing? It's basketball. Was it basketball purgatory now? It's it's basketball heaven. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they'll just win the championship this year, dude. Maybe they'll win the next six, dude. Dude, the next six Larry O'Brien trophies. <laughs> Is the cat going in the uh, litter box? <laughs> She's on her scratching pad. She's staring <laughs> me down. She's just staring me down. She's like scratching it. You want some of this? <laughs> Let's go right now. Yeah. Let's go on the court. One on one. Best of 11. One by two. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Well, to move on from that, and I mean, I don't think we, have, unless you have more to say, of course, but um, I think, I think that, that, that covers it. Yeah. Well, the Kings. They play a TNT game tonight, their second of the season, against the New York Knicks, who have won nine of their last ten. They're they're on a little heater right now, just like the Kings are. Um, they're in the fifth seed in the East, you know, trying to climb up the rankings. Two behind the fourth seed Cavaliers. It'll be a good game. I wasn't excited last week for it. You asked me this, like, you excited about it? I said I don't really care against the Knicks, but you know what? The Knicks have really, you know, they've been playing well as of late. They've climbed up those standings, so I think it'll be a really good game. Uh, the lefties, Randall and Brunson, against the lefties and Sachs, a bonus of Fox. Fox is expected to play tomorrow. 
He says he's feeling 100%. So, I mean, TNT games are always fun, something we've lacked here in the last several years in Sacramento. So I'm excited for it. Uh, big game. Re- nearing the 40 win mark. Um, so we fine. <laughs> yeah, yep. And to, to be fair to the Knicks, it probably would have been on a 10-game win streak had Jalen Brunson played on Tuesday. But he didn't. He's day-to-day. I'm expecting him. At this point of recording, he's still listed as day-to-day, but I don't think there's any doubt that he'll play against the Kings on national television uh, with our boy Stan Van Gundy doing color commentary. We got Stan. Who who's who are the two announcers? Do you know? It's like, well, whoever's with – I don't know the guy's name is with Stan Van Gundy. No. I don't know his okay. name. But he, I think he's the one that did the – he did the, the Nets-Kings game in November. No, I don't even remember. Van Gundy part of that one? Or was that? I don't Richard? know. I don't think so. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? We'll find out. Well, the Kings score 150 again. We'll, we'll find out on national TV. But, um, yeah, Kings have been playing well as of late. They got a chance to keep playing well in front of a national audience. And then by the time we play or talk next week, uh, they will have a chance to win 40 games. But they got some tough ones against the Knicks. The Suns on Saturday, the Bucks on Monday. So we'll see if they can reach 40 by the time we talk again. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, have a good one.